VegCast. VegCast 31. VegCast. Also known as the Bizarro VegCast. VegCast. A full menu from first to last. VegCast. Yes, we are back with the September VegCast. This will be... And is the only VegCast for September. We'll be back on a two-a-month schedule next month. But this this time I had uh, a lot of things going on, uh, veggie-related, principally the Veggie Cabaret, which, as I mentioned last VegCast, uh, occurred on September 14th and 15th and was headlined both nights by the incomparable Dan Peraro of the Bizarro comic strip, Dan Peraro, the uh, cartoonist, uh, cardboard guitarist, entertainer, and vegan. And Dan agreed to sit down uh, for an interview, a VegCast interview with me on Saturday in between the two shows as we were tootling around uh, Philadelphia checking out the various sites. So we have Dan Peraro as our featured interview for this VegCast. And uh, as always, of course, we have a science fact coming your way for your edification and or entertainment and uh, for music we go again to the veggie cabaret uh, from jim harris we have a selection jim harris was the leader of the pit band as well as uh, one of the co-conspirators who came up with the whole show and so we'll be hearing from him in a musical vein so that's all coming up on a full menu of VegCast. sit back and relax and listen to this 31st Yes, that was, in fact, Dan Peraro as part of his Not the Bizarro Baloney show, singing uh, the uh, the old theme song there and doing some crazy falsetto yodeling type stuff that uh, would be far beyond yours truly, and yet uh, Dan never ceases to surprise and amuse uh, when he's up on stage. And, uh, of course, that's only part of his overall act and his contribution to society, uh, which, of course, he's better known as the creator of Bizarro, a single-panel comic strip that uh, runs in hundreds of newspapers worldwide. And as background, uh, a few years ago, Dan uh, was taken to an animal sanctuary, I think it was Farm Sanctuary itself, by his girlfriend, who was already a vegan, Ashley, and uh, he basically saw that animals were not just uh, eating machines and decided to go vegan right then and has been uh, promulgating a vegan kind of attitude and message in uh, here and there in Bizarro and in other forums as the need arises. And so we were glad to have a chance to sit down and chat with Dan Peraro about the, uh, the intersection of veganism and cartooning. So let's go to that interview now. Well, we're here now with Dan Peraro for a VegCast interview, which Dan has graciously agreed to do in his uh, room here at the Bed and Breakfast. Dan, 
welcome to VegCast. Why, thank you. And thank you for being on the show. As I, It's been my intention, as I've stated, to get you on VegCast uh, why, for over a year now. And here it is. It's a pleasure. So thanks so much for having a show for me to be on. <laughs> my pleasure. And thank you for coming to Philadelphia. You came here uh, for the Veggie Cabaret, which uh, I'm also in. I'm, you know, in my role as a journalist for VegCast. I'm somehow mixing up the concept that I'm actually participating, but I'm also covering this event. And uh, let's just talk about you do a, a show that is partially, you know, cartoons and partially you just riffing on stuff. How much of that do you do you have like set down, and how much of it do you try to adapt to the the particular place or time that you're going, or what's happening when you're when you start talking to people? That's a good question. Um, there's never been a study done on that. Um, okay. I, I really have absolutely no idea what percentage um, changes fluctuates from time to time. Uh, basically, the way I do that show is I have uh, some set cartoons and images that I show, and I just move from one to the next as the mood hits me, and I um, uh, I improvise in between. I just I talk about the cartoons, where they came from, some background stories, and sometimes that leads to me just riffing on something I saw recently on television, in the newspaper, in the train station, uh, in my own backyard, wherever, uh, various things I've been thinking about. And uh, basically it's just a me fest. Me, 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 <laughs> and me, and me, and me, and more me for however amount of time, however much time they allow me to talk. Um, my talks, when people ask how long do you do this, I say yeah, anywhere from, from 10 minutes to eternity because I, <laughs> I, I, I can talk about this stuff forever basically. So whenever they tell me to leave, that's when I quit. Okay. Um, I, I realized I should just make sure for those people who may not have listened to previous VegCasts or coming in, you are Dan Peraro, creator of the comic strip Bizarro, which runs in hundreds of newspapers and has for decades now. Yes. And uh, that the long and the short of it is that you were a cartoonist long before you became vegan, then you your eyes were opened, the scales fell, and you said, I have got to start, uh, I've got to live my life this way and put the, these these messages in my cartoons. And I, I just wonder about that, that point at which you decided you were not just going to be, uh, live a certain way, but use this this megaphone that you have and right. what, what kind of careful steps you either had to take to to start doing that or else or did you just kind of say you know screw it i'm just going to start putting whatever i like in here and if newspapers start dropping it fine well basically that is the nature of my cartoon in the first place is that uh, i have no regular characters i have no storylines it's just a joke a day and i've always been uh the sort of person who speaks his mind and so my cartoon has always reflected my own point of view whatever that might be so when, uh, and, and also you have to consider the fact that I've been doing this for 23 years, and so a joke a day for 23 years, that's seven jokes a week, 52 weeks a year times 23, is it's like well over 100 jokes. I've had to, <laughs> I have had to write so many jokes, literally, try writing a joke right now, yeah. you, you and the listening audience, get a piece of paper and a pen, write an original joke. Okay. Now do that every day oh, for 23 years. Yeah. It's... 
that's the hard part of being a cartoonist. It's not just drawing a stupid picture every day. It's thinking of a stupid picture to draw every day. So I've been doing that for all these years. So consequently, anything that goes in my head comes back out. I mean, everything is fair game for me. So when I became uh, an animal rights activist, or when I became... I, I, I should say that when I suddenly became aware of the kind of suffering that goes on routinely in, in, in everyday America by the billions... And when I became aware of the sort of animal suffering that was caused by my thoughtless lifestyle, really just products that I bought, never gave it a second thought, never had any idea how much true unjust suffering went into it. And the fact that I had alternatives uh, available to me, and bam, you know, when I realized all that, I thought, well, I, you know, this is, I got to find a way to put this into my strip because, you know, I'm thinking of a joke every day, so... Uh, it was hard at first because it's it's like trying to write jokes about uh, you know pediatric cancer. I mean, it's a really <laughs> terrible, dark, horrible, unfortunate subject. Right. It's not funny. So how do you make a joke about it? And that's really what animal abuse is like. Uh, obviously, the the food industry. I mean, it's it's just a really horrible, dark subject that is kept well away from the public view, behind locked doors and barbed wire. Very few Americans know what goes on. Uh, behind closed doors to get their food and, and leather belts and shoes and fur and wool to the to the stores. Um, With actual anti-terrorism laws now exactly, against exactly. being able to even take any photos that yeah. anything that occurs on. Yeah, they have, the, the the industry has specifically bought Congress, <laughs> paid Congress into passing laws against people like us telling the truth about what right. they're doing behind closed doors. I mean, it's that well protected and ridiculous. Uh, so yeah, if you go out and protest the way they, uh, the way veal calves are treated in the dairy industry to the point where uh, enough people stop buying milk, I can go to jail as a terrorist for doing that. It's right. it's that insane. Anyway, so I started putting. Um, I found I, little by little, I found ways. I found a voice for it. And I found ways to put these ideas in cartoons and and make them kind of odd and amusing and strange uh, in a way that they're both entertaining and informative, which is, you know, that's sort of the trick. So I started doing that and um, uh, some time ago, and not all my cartoons are about that, but a, a fair number of bar, probably once every week or two I'll have a cartoon that's about animal rights or uh, environmental issues that, the, that, that pertain to animal agriculture, health issues that pertain to the things that we eat, that sort of thing. Now, did you, before you uh, had this conversion of yours, did you have things that you cared deeply about on a, some kind of socio-political level that you worked to put in the cartoons also? It's just that the content of that you know, grew to include this area, or was it that before you kind of had a, a happy-go-lucky, you know, whatever I can come up with that's funny, I'm just going to put that in. Do you know what I mean? Did you Were you in already in practice of having something that you said, i got to say something about this, I'm going to find a cartoon that that will say this to people. Did you have that before you started really saying these things? No. Okay. Actually, I did. <laughs> I'm just putting you on. Uh, yeah, oddly enough, I, I always considered myself a really compassionate person. I was always compassionate to animals and um, never thought about my food choices at all, but I used to do cartoons long before I was into vegetarianism of any kind. Um, uh, I used to do cartoons against uh, the fur industry and against hunting, because to me that just seemed like death for fun, death for vanity. Right. And that just seemed like an obvious 
wrong. It's just, uh, yeah, if you're out surviving on your own in the Rocky Mountains, yeah, maybe you're going to hunt, if you don't, uh, can't find enough plants to eat, maybe you're going to hunt for food, whatever. But, but just to dress up and go out at 5 in the morning to kill stuff right. that you could buy at the grocery store, uh, clearly that's killing for fun and that seemed wrong. Um, if you're freezing to death, if you're an, uh, an Inuit Eskimo and you're freezing to death and you've got to wear furs to uh, survive, okay. But when you live in Dallas, Texas and you're wearing a fur coat in <laughs> September, clearly... That's killing for vanity. Yeah. Obviously, that's wrong. So I used to do those kind of cartoons. Um, I, I, I've also done sort of social, political cartoons in the past. I'm, I'm not really allowed within the framework of Bizarro. I'm not allowed to do blatantly political cartoons where I draw a picture of George Bush, you know, doing whatever. Um, but I can do social kind of commentary and political commentary if it's vague. Doesn't. Uh, uh, have you have you tested those limits? Have you ever had cartoons that oh, yeah. either your syndicate said, you know, yeah. we're not even going to send this on? Yeah, it's not so much my syndicate as it is the newspaper editors themselves. They're the ones, you send a cartoon out and um, a certain number of editors from very conservative papers will say, we're not going to print this. This will enrage too many of our readers. And uh, that's happened to me on a, on a number of occasions. I, I got particularly, I really crossed, I really tested those limits uh, during the last election cycle in 2004, mm-hmm. the run-up to that presidential so-called election, in quotes. <laughs> um, so up to, up to that one, I did quite a few um, blatantly political cartoons that year, in, in a, just in an attempt to try to wake people up and see what was at stake and what we were really doing in this country. Of course, now everybody knows. Clearly, it's, you know, the tide has turned, and now... Even the, even the, the the voters who are dumb as posts are starting to say, "Wait a ding dang minute here, maybe this guy doesn't know what he's doing." It's starting to become kind of common knowledge now, which is uh, gratifying to those of us who spotted it six months before the 2000 election. Right. But anyway, so yeah, I, I did. I've done a few, and but but oddly enough, I've, I've gotten some complaints. I've gotten quite a few bits of hate mail here and there. I've gotten some complaints from editors here and there, but I've only been canceled once only lost one newspaper based on my political views, and that was, I think it's Colleen, Texas, a small town that's basically an army base. And so um, they got they got annoyed with my bashing of the president. And um, I guess, I mean, it kind of makes sense. If I, I don't think that everyone in the military, you know, the military tends, the people in the military tend to be conservative. Uh, they tend to, to, they certainly used to tend to back Bush. And I don't think it's because they're uninformed. I think it's because their lives depend on this guy. Right. This guy is telling them what, how to live their life, where to be on a day-to-day basis, and in, in, what, in what harm's way he's going to put them. Right. And so they, I think that just out of a basic survival, they feel they have to believe in him. Well, it would they be insane to, to yeah. believe that he was a terrible, incompetent judge of what to do, and then still living there and letting him do that. It's got to be torturous to be in the military and know that the guy controlling you is incompetent. So I I think that that partly explains why the military will back the government no matter what. It's it's kind of a matter of psychological survival. Mm -hmm. If he doesn't know what he's doing, then we're we're screwed. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it takes a lot to... Well, let's... um, just going back to the vegetarian cartoons as somebody who has had to come up with cartoons, you know, finding ways to make people chuckle, get a little smile on their face over something that is a grim uh, and depressing uh, topic. Um, have you come up with any magic bullet in terms of how to 
how to turn that around and how to take this very negative subject matter and turn it into something that uh, because the, I mean obviously you can make a cartoon that's wry but the the more the more you actually achieve laughter the more you you have a chance of somebody actually getting yeah. the message because people will let their, down their defenses a little when they're laughing I can't say that I've found any formula or magic bullets I, I find it very difficult every time I try to conquer a subject. It's always difficult to find a way to do it. Um, and I think that even though I've had some success with it, I think most of the time I'm either preaching to the choir or I'm being so vague that nobody's going to get it. You know, it's <laughs> it's really hard to walk that line. I, I don't um, honestly don't know that. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how to do it. I just aim at it and I keep trying and I, I try every day all year long and you know, every now and then I happen to hit on something that, uh, that works for people or that, that you know, and, and I know that it works because I do get emails from time to time, especially from college students who are at that point in life where they're trying to uh, define themselves and they're also thinking, they're intellectually active and mm -hmm. they're, uh, they're making choices all the time. And so it's easy for them to, easier for them to look at my cartoons and, uh, or, or, or I guess I should say it's easier for them to be awakened to a certain point in their, a certain place in their mind is awakened by a cartoon that I draw about, you know, a, a chicken going door to door uh, conducting a survey. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I had that recently, a chicken at, a, at someone's door saying, I'm conducting a survey. Uh, oh, I, I shouldn't have gone into this because I can't remember the punchline. <laughs> should never okay. have gone into this one. But basically he's asking... Um, uh, answer this question, true or false, I would be willing to uh, spend uh, my life in torture and risk death uh, in order to uh, produce a chicken nugget or something. I don't know. It's like, true or false. I, I, it's a, it's a stupid that, joke. That sounds like a terrible cartoon. Edit yeah. that out. It's horrible. Okay. It's a horrible story. <laughs> it's one of my worst <laughs> anecdotes ever. Well, what, wait, this, would, this illustrated something, though. I thought I was going to remember this. Yeah, just illustrate the idea of, um, you know, the, the concept behind it was would you, in fact, be willing to sacrifice your life to produce something as inane and uh, as, as a chicken nugget, McNugget or whatever you call it. Right, I got so, you. So, right. Yeah, that's all it was. It's just like... But I, let, me, let me ask you this. I, I've noticed, uh, and I only noticed this last night, that one of your strategies that uh, you use seems to be to have the animals talking to the humans about right. the situation they're, they're in. I, I was wondering if you would, might sit around thinking what's the best way to do this and you say, you know what, I'll just pull out that animal and have sure. them... Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, well, that's pig a, can say it better than I can. Yeah, that's a lot of it. Is it? Some people think that anthropomorphizing animals is wrong, that animals can't, that other species cannot possibly have the same thoughts and feelings and ideas that humans do. But the closer you get to animals, the, the, well, in, in both scientifically and, and anecdotally, the closer you are to animals, the more you realize that they do have emotions very similar to human beings. Emotions are not... Uh, people tend to think that emotions are some highly evolved thing, and they're not. I think they're really basically evolved things. I think emotions are the first things we evolved right. billions of millions of years ago. And I think that all animals have emotions. They're capable of feeling happy or sad. Grief over the loss of uh, a companion. Happiness over the... Um, attention from another a family member. I mean, it's like those are very basic things. They're basic things like like hands and feet and eyeballs. Right. Um, 
You might as well you might as well believe that humans are the only ones that can truly see with their eyes. No, <laughs> seeing is something that all creatures do in right. some way or another. And I think emotions are the same thing. Emotions are something that all creatures have. They're all capable of suffering and they're all capable of joy. So when you realize that, um, then it's 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 not wrong to anthropo it's not you're not anthropomorphizing an animal when you when you give an animal thoughts and feelings. They all have thoughts and feelings. They have, you know, different criteria for the things that make them happy or sad, but Nothing likes to have his freedom taken away. Nothing likes to be inflicted with pain. And nothing likes to be murdered. <laughs> right. I mean, it's like basic, those are basic things that you can say is true about any animal. And yet we do all those things just to produce something as inane as a chicken nugget. Right. To give to your kid to throw on the floor. Right. And they're not even going to friggin' eat the thing. And it's not good for them to eat it in the first place. So it's a, the whole thing is a very blind and cruel system that we participate in more or less unknowingly. Because, and I did too, for many, right. many decades. I just didn't think about it that way. And so those kind of cartoons, when you, when you turn around and have a, I had a pig sitting in a diner ordering from a human waiter, and he says, um, I'll take the special, but I'd like to su substitute the pork chop for a fried chunk of your left buttock. Right. He says this to the human waiter. And, uh, yeah, I think that, you know, when you turn it around, some people are just going to laugh and, and go out and order a pork sandwich, but some people are going to go... You know, some some people will actually look at me and go, "Yeah, you turn it around; it's not such a fair trade." So, I, does I mean, does the fact that we're in such an absurd situation, as you you were talking about with the chicken McNabbit, as you as you lay out the facts, it just seems so absurd that it's almost comical if it weren't tragic. I mean, does yeah. the absurdity of the world that we live in actually help? Oh yeah, help. Uh, oh, absolutely. Come up with those. Absolutely, I had a really dark and cruel cartoon that a lot of people didn't even get. They wrote to me and said, "What does this mean?" And that gave me a great opportunity to explain it to them. But it's uh, it was uh, a view from inside of an egg farm, so it's just uh, floor to ceiling cages stuffed full of as many chickens as you could imagine in a single cage. Uh, they're like poking out, they're losing their fur, their beaks are clipped off, it's dark, and in the center aisle is standing Ronald McDonald, the clown. Mm -hmm. And the chickens are saying basically something like, so what's funny about this? We don't get it. <laughs> you know, what, it's like, this is, you know, this is the, this is the Adolf Hitler of the chicken world. Right. Well, well, he, well, actually, he's, he's probably the Mussolini of the chicken world. Uh, Colonel Sanders would be the Adolf Hitler of the right. chicken world. And uh, yeah, what is it we're supposed to laugh about? How is how is this funny? How is the what what how's this warrant? How's the situation warrant a clown spokesman? <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, it's a very dark cartoon, but but some people yeah. got it. Some people wrote to me and said they loved it. Other people were like, what? What is this? What does it mean? I don't even get it. Yeah. What's funny about it? Nothing. The answer is nothing. That's the <laughs> point. There's nothing funny about what we put these animals through, and yet we have a little a clown to sell sell this cruelty and misery to children. Right. Yeah, it's really crazy. Absur yeah, you don't have to invent the absurdity. That's already there. Right. You know. Well, so uh, you've collected a bunch of these. I mean, you, you've got plenty of just cartoon uh, collections of your strip uh, over the years, but just recently you've collected some of those, especially uh, your uh, vegan-oriented or animal-oriented ones and kind of a little story of your life into this wonderful coffee table book, which we should mention, which... Uh, also includes some of your actual fine artwork, and I didn't realize before reading this way you're you're actually an artist. Unlike, say, somebody right. like me who comes to cartooning from just doodling on paper and never really learned any 
anything about art, but you can do like you you could do knock off a Salvador Dali painting and, <laughs> and you know sell it and say yeah I've got this original Dali nobody would be able to tell the difference. It's kind of a backhanded compliment to say that my artwork is a knockoff of Salvador Dali, but I, well, I understand what you're saying. You I could if you wanted that, to. Yeah, well, most most cartoonists are humorous first, who learn art enough to present their humor. Right. And I was really an artist first, who used my sense of humor to you know an, an art to portray these ideas. So I was an artist first and a cartoonist second. And um, I never got professionally into the fine art world. Uh, well, early on, I kind of tried, and it was it was you know it was difficult to make a living. And so I got into commercial art, hated it, got into cartooning because I was just looking for a way to make a living as an artist and be my own boss. And I found that. Um, and, uh, and I've actually intentionally, at this point in my life, I intentionally keep my fine art out of galleries and out of that whole fine art world, per se, because I've just discovered that the, over the years I've discovered that the greatest way to ruin something, a, a, an activity that you really enjoy, is to start getting paid for it. Because <laughs> then you've got deadlines and expectations and an audience and a public and a, right. an, uh, an agent and everybody wants something and it starts to completely cloud what you enjoyed about the process in the first place. So I like to keep my fine art to myself. I publish it in books and, and I, you know, I have it online. People can enjoy it. But I don't sell them and I, I just create them for fun for myself and I... It's, I think it's really been kind of a nice way to do it for me. I don't have to worry about uh, the public not liking what I do. I can just sit down and do whatever I want. Right, and you can sell the books. And right, and the book is called Bizarro and Other Strange Manifestations of the Art of Dan Ferraro. It's a retrospective of my various uh, activities over the last 25 years or so. A lot of cartoons, a lot of animal rights stuff, a lot of political stuff. Uh, there's fine art, sketchbook art. Talked about my comedy show tours. And the autobiography is uh, it's a humorous autobiography, and uh, it's really a lot of fun. Okay, well, just before we go, i got to ask you that traditional end-of-interview question, which is, what's next for Dan Perraro? What do you got coming? What, what can we look forward to? What's the next stage of yeah. the Dan Perraro phenomenon? Well, I'm considering shaving my head. Okay. That's a, that's a future project. Um, I'm going to get a new pair of trousers probably in a week or two. Thinking about that. Okay. Haven't really decided what color yet. Uh, and then professionally, um, uh, I'm, I'm still doing a whole lot of public appearances and comedy shows and stuff. I'm kind of cutting back on that. But I'm actually working on a television script, a television <laughs> show, yeah, with, a, with another writer. And we have a producer who's interested in what we're coming up with. And we've got a really brilliant um, sort of performance artist, stand-up comic that we're writing around in terms of being a performer. So, I mean, we kind of have our ducks in a row. You never know. It's a million to one shot anytime to try to do TV. But that's sort of where I am right now. I'm trying to do some TV stuff. I'm also creating some little animations based on my uh, cartoons that right. are not going to go in this show. They're just going to go elsewhere on television. Don't know where. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of getting into, like, the, the TV animation and live-action TV thing. Great. More and better and bigger things uh, to look forward to from Dan Perrara. Well, let's hope. Well, all right. Well, thank you for being on VegCast. Thanks for having me on it. Okay. Well, thanks for being had. Okay. I met a man outside of Eden Begging for change with the sign in his hand He had some dogs that he was feeding They all deserve attention As I deserve some attention from you My love for them is an extension Of a high
should disown you You put a strain on our mercy You have abused the kindness shown you With your wasteful ways The man replied, he said There's no one living Who cannot help someone weaker They too are blessed Who do the giving That is why I say Jim Harris with his band St. Mad. What else is kindness for? Uh, Jim Harris was kind enough uh, to let me play that, even though uh, he has not officially released 
that track to the public. He classifies it as a demo, but uh, again, I wanted to have something to kind of keep that veggie cabaret theme going, and as I mentioned, Jim Harris was the, uh, the ringleader of the pit band for that. And so there's our music, and now it's time for us to turn our attention to science. All right, our science fact for this time around. Headline, low-fat veg diet may keep prostate cancer at bay. I'll read that for you. Uh, The article from NutriIngredients.com begins, Eating a low-fat and plant-based diet could reduce the risk of prostate cancer or slow onset of the disease. A new study has found, this is a review study conducted at George Mason University uh, and is published in the latest issue of Nutrition Reviews. And the researchers wrote... Uh, In large population studies performed in over 60 countries as well as in prospective cohort studies, intake of dairy products, red meat, and total dietary fat have been found to be positively correlated with increased risk of prostate cancer. In contrast, consumption of soy products, fiber-containing foods, cruciferous vegetables, and lycopene has been reported to be inversely associated with prostate cancer risk. Uh, And they conclude these studies suggest that predominantly plant-based diets that are high in fiber and phytonutrients and low in fat and saturated fat favorably influence health outcomes for prostate cancer patients. And that sounds a little bit like a scientific study mumbo-jumbo with all of the stuff about high in fiber and phytonutrients uh, and low in fat and saturated fat. Just about any whole plant foods that you can eat, uh, certainly any of them are going to be uh, pretty high in fiber. Phytonutrients, that's a fancy way of saying plant-based chemicals, uh, which, uh, you know, any plant food is going to have some of them uh, in greater quantities than others. Uh, Of course, nuts and uh, avocados, things like that will be higher in fat and saturated fat, but any of your uh, your standard fruits and vegetables, uh, leafy greens, cruciferous vegetables, broccoli, cauliflower, onions, garlic, all of those are just uh, going to be great for this. And so the moral of the story is that if you want to avoid prostate cancer later on, then uh, you should probably be looking into a plant-based diet right now, or at least at the very moment that we are done with the segment entitled Science Fact. Okay, this bizarro VegCast is just about done. Let me mention a couple of things before we get out of here. Uh, Public Eye Artists for Animals is the organization to put on the Veggie Cabaret. If you happen to be around Philadelphia, uh, you're invited to attend the Blessing of Animals on October 13th from 2 to 4 p.m. at the Unitarian Society of Germantown. Also, I should mention Dr. Michael Greger, a VegCast favorite, will be coming to our area. He'll be out in Phoenixville at the Holy Ghost Social Center Bridge and Star Streets. I don't know exactly where that is, but if you get out to Phoenixville, why, you can start asking around. They're very friendly out there. He'll be out there on October 7th uh, from 4 to 8 
p.m. If you have never seen uh, Dr. Michael Greger speak in person, uh, you should definitely not miss this chance, even if you're familiar with his uh, wacky personality from VegCast. You should try to get out there for that, and is especially relevant, as you recall, his most recent book is on bird flu, and I'm sure he'll be talking some about that. And uh, the UN, uh, the Food and Agriculture Organization, just released a new report uh, saying that the incidence of diseases caused by animals, zoonotic diseases that humans get, uh, is bound to increase as livestock production increases. So it's yet another reason that our entire human population is uh, kind of behaving uh, idiotically, if you will, uh, in insisting on uh, continuing this uh, archaic form of food production uh, to press animals into service as our food source. So I guess we just got to hope that enough people go to see Dr. Greger to uh, get fired up and spread the word and that enough people listen to VegCast. And on that note, I want to thank you for downloading VegCast, whether you subscribe to it at iTunes or elsewhere or just get it right off of the site. That's great. Thanks also, of course, to Dan Perraro for sitting down uh, with me for the interview this time. And uh, thanks to Jim Harris who provided us with the music for this episode. As I said, we'll be back with two episodes in October. And until then, get out there and live like you mean it. Veg. Cow.